0: Other horn, so everything that we do every day, we want to be a champion. Get your mind right and let's go. Do the little things. Win every day to someplace they play football.
1: Everything with an attitude. Alabama. I don't give a shit who we are playing. I don't let one play against. If Marcus his ass point,
0: that's our framework. That's our MO with the team. Richards and
1: White very out the side line. This is a mauling, folks, a mauling. Hear the tide, honey badger. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Alabama Football Podcast. Tom, is Alabama immune to the forces of nature? As the college football landscape crumbles all around it, yawn, Alabama turns in another record-setting performance.
0: Man, we are just at a level above everybody else. It's like Gary Danielson said a few weeks ago. There's Alabama and there's everybody else. And as you said as we were talking after the you know after the game was over, I mean how in years past we would have been so excited, right, about drubbing Mississippi State like this. But this was like, you know, as you said, this is probably the most boring 48 point margin of victory that I can remember in several years.
1: I hate to say that because it's such a spoiled sentiment, right? We but sound like
0: spoiled we're, we're that spoiled fan now. No, man. We we said a few weeks ago get ready for Atlanta, get ready for the playoffs. This team has a lot of maturity. It has a lot of leadership and man, they're they are they're still hungry. The biggest thing I can say that, that I'm excited about is unlike 2010 when we sat there and watched them lose to South Carolina that they should have never lost, this team wouldn't have lost to South Carolina at South Carolina in 2010. They're he is he has figured out how to push this team's buttons to still be hungry and to play the next play. And a lot of programs just can't say that.
1: No, it's absolutely true. I, I mean we saw a lot of this in 2015 and and I think we're seeing more of it, even more of it this year. And and it is a testament to, you know, sort of building your program. And you know, you can bring in a lot of talent and you can sort of accrue talent, but to build that leadership, that top down within the team leadership that sort of rolls over year over year, it takes even a little bit longer. And so 2010, that may have been one of our more talented teams, especially at the skill positions. And the leadership that last year and this year um, that those teams exhibit is just off the charts, you know, something else. I I, I saw a stat or heard a stat, and 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 I've heard two different versions of it. So depending upon – you know, which one is more accurate than the other. It, is, it has been either 15 or, or 17, you know, call it 16. It's been over 15 years since Alabama has scored a touchdown in the first quarter of the game following the LSU game. And so you think of a big rivalry game that is LSU and sort of the complacency that, that you may have after winning that game that you go out the next week and, and you can't score a touchdown in the first quarter and you know Alabama hangs 10 in the first quarter 30 in the first half. And Tom, how many times have we gone? Have we struggled to make the 11 o'clock kickoff? And we've seen some some of the worst Alabama football ever during those 11 o'clock uh, kickoff times. And this Alabama team came out ready to play and uh, just put, put a monster performance on for such an early game. And you know, that's sort of been a bugaboo with this I say not this team, but just the the program historically. Uh, those are just those are just trademarks of this Saban team.
0: No, they are man, and and just like they talked about on air uh, during the game, you know, Jonathan Allen, you know, was exerting his leadership to the players and saying, make sure everybody's in bed by eight eight thirty on Friday night, right? Because we got a six forty five you know wake up call on Saturday morning, and it's little things like that. that, But, but you know, it, it's also because he's getting the depth because of all the years of great recruiting classes that you've got guys like Tim Williams and Ryan Anderson who in years past under Saban, they would have left early regardless of their evaluations. But now, in my opinion, there's been – several years of, you know, guys going to the pros and here's what their draft grades were and here's how they ended up playing out, etc. that guys like Ryan Anderson and Tim Williams last year who could have easily been drafted was like, you know, we don't have a first-round grade. We're going to come back. Man, where would this defense be right this second without Tim Williams and Ryan Anderson? Take nothing away from Jonathan Allen. But right now, if you didn't have Tim Williams and Ryan Anderson, Jonathan Allen would not be able to play down uh, low like we talked about. He would not have been able to push into the middle. We wouldn't have him in the middle to help Deron Payne and Dalvin Tomlinson, and we wouldn't have their pass rush on the outside, and this would be a totally different team. And these are two unheralded backup players last year who are now studs, and it just goes back to the rich getting richer, And and he's able to reload because of guys like that.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. There's all sorts of – this team is interesting. Every team is sort of interesting in their own right. This team is definitely interesting, you know, for those little narratives. I mean, you know, it, it wouldn't be hard to pick five guys off, the, off this team that could have gone pro last year, and no one would be disappointed if they had. You know, you could add Eddie and Reuben Foster and OJ, you know, to the mix, and no one would be disappointed that – I mean disappointment is maybe not the right right word, but no one would think that they had were making the wrong decision or making a bad decision if they had all gone and and uh, you know and they all came back. and so that's that's just a testament to this program and the leadership and just the truth that Saban, you know speaks to those guys about come back, improve your draft status and he talked about you know Reggie Raglan was was a guy last year. he would have been a fourth or fifth. Came back and you know, and he was late first, early second, and and Reuben Foster is is the poster child of that. He would have been a second or third last year, and he may be a top eight pick. And Jonathan Allen, not dissimilar, he was a second or third. He may be a top five pick, and that's pretty impressive. And you think about coming back for a year and getting that kind of bump in your draft status is you know an in innumerable number of dollars you know you've you've set another generation of your family uh, by coming back and, and making that decision. <clears throat> let's talk about this game We could theorize on you know just all the intricacies and all the all the cool sort of facets of of the saving program but this uh, let's talk about this offense uh, offensive performance against Mississippi State. what stood out to you?
0: Well, you know, I know the headline is, you know, Jalen Hurts, you know, was able to to be the first quarterback to rush for 100 yards and throw for 300 yards. In, in and, you know, in an Al- as an Alabama quarterback and, you know, congratulations to him um, that he was able to do that. But not to regurgitate last week's podcast, you know, it was kind of more the same for me, um, you know, in the shotgun, in the pistol. You know, one of the beat writers for Alabama went back and broke down his 347 yards, and he counted He counted how many of those jet sweeps that they call a pass. Uh, you know, thank you, Ardarius Stewart, for your 67-yard pass that I, that I literally almost handed you the ball in the backfield. And they counted the screens, and they counted the, the plays behind the line of scrimmage. And of his 347 yards, 160 of them, roughly half, uh, came behind the line of scrimmage. And so, you know how I feel about that. Um, this Lane Kiffin has decided that he is going to get the ball to his playmakers uh, on the outside, at or behind the line of scrimmage. Um, and against this team, it was obviously way more successful than it was against than the athletes of LSU.
1: Oh, sure, sure, Mississippi State. You know, they they couldn't you know, couldn't hang with that. You know, <clears throat> I, you know, I saw that same article and I thought, well, you know, somebody's trying to make a name from themselves by, you know, just being a contrarian and, and that's okay. And, you know, all of those facts are true, but equally as true as it's never been done before. And it to, you know, to put those stats out there is to minimize it, to put those stats out there to minimize it is to, uh, is to suggest that it's easy. If it were easy, this would not be the first time in the history of the program that it's ever happened. So, you know, I, both, both things can't be true. It can't be easy and it can't be the first time that it's ever happened. So I'm going to, I'm going to give, you know, credit, I think where it's due. And and I'm going to salute the performance. When
0: I wait a minute now, it's the first time it was done, but when he hands the ball in front of him to, you know, when he hands the ball pitches the ball in the air at our Darius Stewart, and our Darriott Stewart, by his pure athleticism, rushes for 67 yards, and that's counted as a pass, you know, I mean, you, you, you got to factor that in. I mean, did, did, did he rush for 100 yards? Sure he did. Um, is it his fault that they count that play that shouldn't have been counted as a pass a pass? No, it's not his fault. But it's okay to point it out, because to say he got 347 yards like your typical dropback passer that, that throws the pitches of ball all around the field, that he that
1: he didn't do is all I'm saying that's fine but you know again to minimize it is is to suggest that it's that it's easy and and it's not or or it would happen you know more often is it is it conventional no but define conventional in college football anymore that whole nature of the game uh, is changing and evolving and if we don't change with it then you know, we're going to suffer the fate of LSU. We're going to suffer the fate of of Les Miles, right? Where, where there was no growth and, and evolution, and you know, we can we can either evolve with the game and continue to dominate it, or you know, we can you know we can get lost to to the passage of time. And so, I'd rather continue to 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 evolve and grow and and you know, be the number one team in the country and and sort of explore you know new opportunities to to be dominant. What really stood out to me was, you know, obviously Jalen's performance in 28 of 37 passing, you know, 76%, you know, four touchdowns. Some of those were conventional drop back passes. Some of those uh, did demonstrate his arm. And so I don't mind there being a healthy mix. I don't mind, I don't mind taking a game like this. And we've talked about, wouldn't it be neat if the coaching staff would, you know, just, take advantage of this uh, depleted secondary and just make this a passing game so that we can work on our passing game. And we all, you know, kind of, we talk about that stuff and we have for years and we say, Oh, well, we'll never do that because you have to go out and kind of play the game. Well, no, Lane Kiffin said we need to work on it. So we're going to work on it. And so we made a point of this being a, uh, a passing game. It's like the old technical bowl where for kicks, you know, we're, we're just going to pass the ball every play and, and, and develop skills in in that area and so i don't mind that happening i don't mind you know take the take the basketball analogy of let's get a couple easy shots underneath to build our confidence uh you know over the flow of the game so you know it's hard to it's hard sometimes to remember that Jalen's still a true freshman but i don't mind giving him some easy layup opportunities so that so that he can build his confidence and i wouldn't mind uh, or I say I wouldn't be surprised if we saw some of that this coming week. I just think it's part of how we're developing this quarterback, and I'm not categorically opposed to it.
0: No, I, I'm i not saying I'm opposed to it. I just have to call it for what it is. And so this is a quarterback that still struggles uh, mightily to throw the ball down the field. Um, I will acknowledge that they gave him a few more attempts in the intermediate, and so he was able to connect on a couple intermediate passes – um, But he missed a lot. I mean, last week on the podcast, we talked about we left points on the board. Well, we didn't leave points on the board because the Bulldogs were pathetic. Um, but, you know, there there were plays early in this game where he missed reads that where guys were open. So early in the game, he had Dieter open on a third and goal uh, at the uh, goal line. Uh, to the left side of the formation. He totally focused on the right side of the formation, decided to pull it down and run, and it was third and ten, and I don't know how he thought he was going to run. Okay, he thought he was going to run for a first down. He did not. We had to kick a field goal. Missed touchdown. Next series, he's got Ridley wide open down the left side of the field. He's looking to the right again. He totally misses him. Ridley's got his hand up about 25 yards down the field. There's nobody on him. He totally misses him. OK, and so then then when he tried to, you know, connect on his deep ball to our Darius Stewart, Saban says in his postgame press conference that Stewart was supposed to to basically come underneath the, the DB. Well, you know, I thought about that, man. Just last week against LSU, he was throwing the ball out pattern to our Darius Stewart. He threw the ball. And what did we say on the podcast last week? We said we'll never know, right? Whose fault it was? Was sure. it our Darius or was it him? Well, ironically, it was the same receiver. The same thing happened. He threw the ball in a space right to a DB. Well, that's what he did in this game. So I guess based on Saban's post-game, we should say our Darius has messed up two weeks in a row now and made our and made Jalen Hurts look really bad on a really bad interception throw. I'm just I'm just saying that the progression I see is that they let him try some intermediate stuff this week. So the exciting thing for me is some of those 347 yards, he actually got to throw a nice pass on a nice play to Calvin Ridley for about 20 yards. He actually completed a few passes between 10 and 20 yards, which is a great thing because they just got to keep building on that. They've they've got to let this guy try to throw the ball down the field if he's ever going to get it done.
1: No, I understand. I I just, you know, and I would I would encourage folks not to heap on, you know, and, and be negative t- towards the situation. I would say enjoy the ride and watch the development and understand what's happening. Understand that that when Ardarius, you know, sort of breaks off the route and you know, and there were, you know, he talked about Sabin talked about it in his interview and our Darius did too. You know, Saban said, you know, he was really supposed to break under And that's what uh, – Ardarius said the same thing, that he and and Jalen talked about it. And Ardarius said, hey, when I'm even, I'm I'm going. I've beat them. I'm not going to – I'm not going to duck back underneath if I've already beat them. And that that can be okay too. That can be a a fair adjustment on the fly. And that's something, you know, give me a sophomore, junior, senior quarterback that's worked with the receivers uh, X number of additional years – and and they're on that page. They're at that sort of graduate level of of improv improvisation, while the while the route's open. That maybe a freshman isn't because he's just sort of you know coloring by numbers. You know, give me some of the backside um, the backside open receivers when the quarterback's only focusing on the half half the field. Well, let him let him have the opportunity to scan the whole field. You still have to run. You know, even if you're giving Jalen only half the field, you still have to run plays to the other side because you still oh, no. have to keep the defense honest. And so at what point does he start to, hey, let's look at that third receiver? Hey, let's go across the field for that for that next read. Those are things that are going to happen. It's not that, oh, if we let him develop. No, this is part of the development. And so I say enjoy the ride because these things are gonna start clicking and and it's gonna be fun to to have seen, oh yeah. Now we're turning that page and we haven't turned that page all season, but here we did today.
0: Well, obviously, I want to enjoy the ride and obviously I'm happy that, you know, that we're dominating like we are, like I had said weeks ago in, you know, first couple of podcasts. Sure. I'm just saying that why people listen to this show is for us to call it as we see it. And so today, you and I cannot say they're only giving him a part of the field to look at because we unfortunately don't know we would like to go spend the night at the complex and, and, and wake up in the closet and hear all this crap, but they won't let us do it cause they'll arrest our ass, but we don't know what the truth is. And so right this second, are they giving him the opportunity to look at the whole field and is he just not doing it? That's what I'm pointing out.
1: Oh obviously,
0: God. obviously today, in my opinion, the biggest thing that has a, that has, that has worked for him, is his athleticism okay? Right. He has an offensive coordinator that does a phenomenal job of of putting him in 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 plays that he can be successful. They're not asking him to audible at the line of scrimmage. They're not asking him to change the plays. And the other thing, the other thing, Kiffin's doing, which you in the past have not enjoyed, the Julio Jones of the world running the ball. So I don't know if you were cringing when Stewart scored his sixty-seven yard or not. Right because we don't need him to blow a knee but this coordinator seems content on doing a lot of that line of scrimmage stuff with his star wide receivers that I just don't want something to happen to him
1: yeah i think that's fair i think that and and i'm a little bit selective on this and and i've kind of you know i've kind of talked to this talk to this a little bit too that you know, you take your franchise, your truly your franchise wide receiver, and in that category, I would put, you know, uh, uh, a Calvin Ridley, a Julio, an Amari, those type of guys, uh, especially a Ridley, because he's he's the smallest of those three. Uh, I really don't like those guys on on an end around. Now you could reason that, you know, hey, our Darius Stewart is is knocking on that level of capability and and I wouldn't disagree with that. I think he's put together a little sturdier, a little more sturdy, and so him doing that, I probably feel less bad about than it probably bothers me less than than some of the other guys. But um, you know, I it's not an invalid point. An invalid point. I mean, if he were to get hurt on that kind of play, then you know that would be the kind of thing that I don't I don't appreciate. Um, but I like him. I like our Darius. I don't mind our darius being utilized in that way, and I know that sounds a little contradictory, and and I don't, I don't intend it that way. I just think there's some guys that that can do that better than others. Um, you know, Amari always looked sort of long and lanky doing that, and you know, Cal, uh, you know, you know, Ridley just looks small and slight doing it, and and frankly, Julio was. I mean, can we say he was the only receiver of, of much merit that we had on the on the team? I mean, I mean the separation between Julio and the rest of the receivers. I'm not trying to disparage anyone, but the separation there was pretty significant. And so, you know, sure. he was. Uh, and and so I think it. You know, is am I sort of picking and choosing a case by case? Maybe a little bit. I am. But you know, I always said, hey, I, I, DeAndre White, I don't mind doing that because he's a little more sturdier. Christian Jones, I don't mind him doing that because he's a little a, a little sturdier. And so, you know, is that a double standard? I don't intend it that way, but, you know, you could look at it from a perspective and, and accuse me of that, and, uh, you know, it'd be hard for me to, to no, protest too much. You.
0: No, I'm with you. I'm just – what happened when Stewart got hurt earlier this year? Did the offense set, take a setback? We did, right? Yeah. I mean, there was, a, there was a drop-off when Stewart was not in there from his leadership, from his blocking, from, you know, from all the intangibles he brings to the game. So I guess I just want to see some more, you know, 10 to 12 to 15 yard passes to our Darius Stewart and let him beat a guy one on one, then have him run through all that traffic. That's all I'm saying. And that's fine.
1: And and you know, and he did catch you know, I, uh, I'll put words in your mouth. He did catch two legitimate touchdown passes. Yes. Yes, he did.
0: He did. I just I just, you know, all the sweeps and stuff, just give it to the running backs that's all I'm saying. Now, interestingly enough for the listeners, you know, when when Saban does his little sh- is his little uh weekly football show with Chris Stewart, when he highlighted a play, he highlighted uh the 67-yard run by our Darius Stewart sure. on the on the TV show and he talked about that when they set up that formation and he gave Lane Kiffin all the credit that they had four wide outs and they had O.J. Howard and they were in an empty and they had no running backs. And that he talked about you know, the defense is thinking, you know, we got to adjust to this. It's this an empty formation. And he talked about, you know, why didn't Lane Kiffin motion our Darius Stewart from the slot on the right side back into the shotgun uh, next to uh, Hertz prior to the play snapping? Sure. And he talked about the fact that they did that on purpose, or Lane Kiffin does that on purpose, where when he sends him in motion, if the safety is 15 yards off the ball, which he was – and he's slow to react to have to come from the right side of the field all the way to the line of scrimmage on the left side of the field. It creates a, an opportunity in the blocking assignments. And so he purely did it, right? To to create the additional opportunity in space for Ardarius versus putting him in the backfield. And it was a way to get a, a jet sweep action with a running back, a wide receiver instead of a running back. I get all that. I just don't like Stewart being the one doing it. Right. It was it was interesting that that when when Saban showed the play on his TV show, sure enough the safety came over, but he was slow to react. And by the right. time he reacted, he was 20 yards away from the play, and he was a non-factor, so he didn't even have to get blocked on the play, right? So all that, I give I give Lane Kiffin credit. Um I just um we got lots of wide receivers, man. We we can put somebody else in that in that position.
1: Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. What um, what else on offense stood out to you?
0: Um, this guy named Carvin playing right guard. Let's talk about that. Um, I, I had to. I had to like like. I was like, wait a minute, seventy eight. What what's he doing at guard? And so um, it was so interesting after the game and the post game when 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 they were asking Saban about it. You know, he he clearly talked about that cotton had been in a black Jersey all week, apparently, and that he had not gotten any reps. And then, um, on his coach's show last Thursday, he even went as far as to say that that they felt like Curvin might have become one of their top five linemen. I'm like, where the hell did this talk come from? <laughs> right. So right. I had never heard Saban Curvin. And you're one of my top five guys, all in the same grammatical sentence before ever.
1: No, and so not, not all, yeah, not all kind of broken out that way, you know. Right? a You know, Kirvin's a senior. He's a kid from Virginia. He came in as a defensive tackle and and a couple of years ago was moved to uh, to the offensive line and and he's seen spot duty, but certainly, I, and I think Saturday was his second start, uh, second career start. Uh, but he he has seen spot duty. And he's the kind of guy that it just seems like maybe he's he's you know kept chopping wood and he's developed and and has an opportunity maybe to see some some playing time you know be, you know between now and sort of the end of the season. But I you know I'm glad you mentioned Curvin because I've got him in my notes to to talk about. I want to I want to poke at that you know I want to kind of draw back on that and and poke at that a little bit because Curvin played, but he rotated with Josh Kasher at the position. And they did that because Lester Cotton couldn't go and Lester Cotton has sort of been subbing and, and, uh, and filling in for Alphonse Taylor. So Tom, when's the last time we've gone four deep at a position?
0: Man, there's been years past where if we had to bring in somebody in the two deep, the next play, the quarterback was sacked and the next play, the quarterback was sacked and, um. It was an obvious uh it was an obvious letdown in the game. And and Lester Cotton, correct me if I'm wrong, he came into the game on extra points and field goals.
1: Yes, he was cleared to play, <laughs> but you know, due to limited practice and and the and other guys stepping up, right? I mean, how many times have we seen somebody, oh, thank God he's cleared to practice? I don't care that or he's cleared to play. I don't care that he hasn't practiced all week because he's still the best we've got. And let's put him out there and let's hope that he can you know, bailing wire and duct tape, we can keep them, you know, healthy, you know, for the course of the game. And then we'll kind of figure it out next week. We, were, What what a position of luxury to say, you know what, eh, let's hold them back. We'll rotate them in with the two deep, uh, which we did. He came back in with, with the second string. Uh, let's rotate them out. We'll use them on special teams. And uh, we'll, we'll just be careful and slow with bringing him back. What a luxury that is.
0: No, it is, but as you look at the two depth chart, if you look at the two you know the two deep on their roster though they're in a they're in a little bit of a dicey situation because Lester Cotton was running with the twos when Alphonse Taylor was out there, right, mm-hmm. and so Lester Cotton gets banged up, Alphonse Taylor is still banged up well suddenly um both of your backup guards are not there. And the only other person you've got to go is Dallas Warmack and, and Brandon Kennedy, a redshirt freshman. So um, I was surprised that we didn't see Dallas Wormack versus Curvin. Um, however, Curvin is a – you know, he's a fifth-year fifth year senior. And, you know, Saban, Saban can make some of those. I, I think it was more spin, okay? I think Saban was more, you know, building Curvin up. And Kervin does have some experience of being over there on the on the offensive side of the line longer than you know, Dallas Warmack and, and Brandon Kendi and those kind of guys. And so I think Kervin was called to duty because they didn't have any choices. I mean, Alphonse Taylor, you know, they you know, there was a, for whatever reason, Alphonse Taylor did a, a radio interview in the past week and uh with some with some outlet and said that. He had suffered multiple concussions over the years and and his his playing at all in the future is in doubt. Right. I had not heard that. And so suddenly if that's true and Lester Cotton's in a black jersey all week and you're the coaching staff you got to go to a fifth year senior and say, "Hey man, we need you. Can can you run right guard?" <laughs>
1: Yeah, and and I think there's a you know there's a little bit of luxury there. You know, like I said, this was this was Curvin's second start. He's actually started at left tackle, and so you know he, you know he has some athleticism. I um, mean, he was a former defensive lineman, so you know he has some athleticism. He 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 seems like a guy that maybe we've groomed over the course of the season, and you know, fortunately, this is Week Ten instead of Week Two, right? That uh, that he's had some grooming throughout the season. There's been a, a, a number of weeks span here. Where we've where we've known that Alphonse can't go and it's maybe it's been week to week, but here's another week that he can't go. So you know Corin, we're going to give you some more work. and so it just and, and, and Lester has performed well and so fortunately it's the, the fourth or fifth week that that Lester was going to be the starter as opposed to the second week right. And so all of these sort of things have kind of broken the right way for for Corin to be ready. And then I think the coaching staff, you know, sort of see those, you know, sort of saw those that connective tissue and said, well, let's get Josh Kasher some reps, too, because, you know, if we're going to put our swing man in here, then we're going to need someone else. And let's get Kasher uh, some reps. And so it's the kind of thing that, you know, the further down you go, there's more questions about, who, you know, who could have, would have, should have. Um, you know, think about the situation where maybe Bozeman was going to be the swing guy, but, you know, he stepped in at uh, at center and has performed admirably, admirably there. And so if you were to forecast the line, you know, back in August, there are a number of things that have sort of unfolded that we wouldn't have necessarily pegged. I mean, I think we pegged a lot of them, but we didn't peg all of them. And we certainly wouldn't have pegged, you know, Curvin and Casher you know, starting and rotating in for a, a game like this. But it, it at some level and and you know, this could be an obvious statement, right? <clears throat> but gosh, at some level, doesn't it feel really good to to be able to to it in effect go four deep at a position and in a game that we win fifty one to three? And and frankly no one's the wiser.
0: No, there's a lot of fans that have no idea that Curvin was in the game at right guard. Right. And much less to win fifty one to three. Um, as I said earlier, you know, we've had years past where we we've had a big SEC game, we've had a guy go down, and it's totally just threw off the whole rest of the game, yeah, much less, much less be able to kind of run on autopilot like this.
1: What else on offense did you see?
0: you know i I really enjoyed watching um o j Howard. And and I just focused on him a lot in this game and in his development as a blocker. Yep. You know, he hasn't put on a he hasn't put on a ton of additional weight. I mean, he you know the roster still has him at at two hundred and fifty one pounds. But is he where is he where Michael was for us before? As far as what he brought Michael Williams as far as to to that position, no. But has he just made huge strides? He has. Yeah. And they're they're asking him to line up um in numerous positions in the backfield and in the line of scrimmage and in the slot and still be a blocking tight end predominantly when he had you know two big plays in the national championship game that won that game for us and I just I just really appreciate you know what he's doing for this program and and without a fullback you know that Gets plays in this offensive scheme. Um, you know, while the wide receivers do a great job blocking, uh, OJ Howard, you just, just, just how many different formations he has to understand and pre snap reads and motion before the play. And there's a lot of things they put on his shoulders.
1: There absolutely is. And, and for as much as this, you know, may sound like hollow talk. It's, it's not. There's a reality that says opposing defensive coordinators have to account for him. They have to. And so even if he only gets three balls in any given day, that does not mean that the defensive coordinator did not have to, to prep for, for the potential that O.J. Howard has. And if they have to allocate sort of resources, prep time, and then resources in the game where someone has to, has to cover, has to watch – then, that, then they're taking away those resources from from other opportunities that they have to prepare and execute the game. And so it's, it's it's that intricate web of, you know, especially when we play teams that we are athletically superior than they are, and then we're able to spread them thin because you don't know where we can attack and we can attack from so many different levels. I mean, there are plays happening – that and this is the kind of thing you'd have to, you know, you'd have to really, you know, sit down with defensive coordinators and understand the scheme that they're running and then sort of break down sort of play by play by play by play. But there are plays happening all over the field that are strung together, you know, dots connected to how the defense is having to defend OJ Howard, who's really not even in on the play. And there's there's just a reality to that that makes this team that much more uh, aggressive and that much more dangerous.
0: Well, we spoke about this a few weeks ago when they were running three or four plays or three or four potential plays off of each play. Right. They're not having to learn new things because they're doing the same actions every time. But it is putting so much more pressure on the defense because you're having to account for all the skilled players. And then, Oh, by the way, now they have a running quarterback. Really? And so a few years ago when Blake Sims was there, they weren't, they didn't have the, I guess this is an indirect way that we are getting to see the fruits of having all the skilled players. Yes. Because what we would typically expect to see is just pitching the ball all over the field, down the field, right. To our talented wide receivers. Well, it's almost like Lane Kiffin is saying, well, you know, I'm just still hesitant to put the ball down the field, and when I do, bad things happen. And so I'm just going to develop all these, these, all these different plays off of each play. You're going to have to account for all these skill guys. And, oh, by the way, now i got a running quarterback. And so when Blake Sims was doing it, they didn't have as many skill players as they do now. Right. And so it's really making them defend the entire field.
1: It really is. And and what's what's funny is and, you know, I'll kind of poke at us a little bit, you know, if you go back, you know, because we've been doing this how many years now, if you go back and listen, you know, to some of those older shows, we talk about the offense has the opportunity to, to be dynamic and multiple and we can all of the do all of those different things. Tommy, we didn't know what multiple was.
0: <laughs> no, not in this way. You're correct. And it was nice to see O.J., you know, get six balls in this game. I wish Ridley would have gotten some more. I wish he would have saw Ridley on that touchdown play. You know, it was nice he got his 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 easy touchdown on a pick play that didn't get called. But, um, no, what what else jumped out at you on offense real quick where it was nice to see Jacobs with that, you know, 45-yard run in the third quarter. Um, it was nice to see with only two healthy running backs him have a big day.
1: Yeah, it really was. And, and that kind of underscored the intention to, to pass the ball some of it was you know sort of dinged up running backs and, and some of it was you know the opportunity to work on Jalen manufacture some running from really receivers and we we talked about that but it was good to see Josh uh you know Jacobs, you know nine for 90 is a, is, is a really nice you know stat line you'd like to see it over 100 with <clears throat> with the touchdown but you know understanding what we were what we were trying to do is good to see him bounce back. Because he's had a couple of games where uh, he wasn't contributing, wasn't uh, participating at maybe the level that he had been sort of midseason. So it was good to see him come back and show those flashes again. Again, it's just another weapon that's uh, that's in the arsenal. So that was that was certainly uh, that was certainly fun to see. And I like seeing Miller Forestall more and more. He is getting an increased role in uh, in in, in the game. And, and we're seeing more of him in there. And, you know, he had three catches for, for 19, you know, poor Hale Henegas is, is yeah, what do sort you of mean, getting what, squeezed out, that,
0: man. I mean, because I'm sorry, Hale provided a, a lot of good blocking. Sure. Um, and, and Hale was, was a very valuable uh, component to this team. Why, why do you think he's getting squeezed out by the, by the true freshman?
1: I just think, you know, I don't know. I think it's athleticism. I think it's getting, you know, I think maybe Miller has more upside as as a receiving tight end, and so we're trying to develop and sort of bring him along. I mean, the story of, of Hale it hasn't been completely written. Um, you know, he performed very well for us last year. I suspect that we're going to see him contribute uh, more, if not this season, the balance of this season, which I wouldn't write that out yet. But, uh, you know, I think, you know, definitely, and, and no one's suggesting this, but, you know, his career is not over. We're, you know, the story of, of Hales still is to be written. So, um, but I just think Miller has just come on in a way that, that uh, is, has maybe been a little bit surprising. And so what's, what's interesting is you think about next season with, you know, OJ is definitely going to be gone next season. Well, both Hale and Miller may have an opportunity to blossom uh, uh, more so next year with O.J. and O.J.'s sort of reputation um, not on the field.
0: Well, it does make you wonder, though, what you said about Miller. Is, is Miller, because of his rec- – does he just have more receiving prowess than Hale does? And that's why the, the door has been cracked open for him. And, and maybe Lane Kiffin just desired to have a second – tight end option that he could go to and and maybe they just felt like Miller you know was showing more of that than Hale
1: right I, that's that's the direction that I would go but you know like I said I think they're both going to have an opportunity you know in subsequent seasons to to, to flourish well,
0: what anything else, can, else on
1: offense or you want to go to mini game ball
0: no I was going to ask you the same question man Um, I, I think we can go to mini game balls give me give me yours so I don't steal yours
1: you know, I'm going and, and we talked about the position, so I don't I won't really add much to it, but I'm going uh uh Curran uh uh Corin and and Casher, you know, the th- the three and four guards stepping in and, and playing and, and the team really not missing a beat. Okay. Well, I am going to uh give my
0: nod to to Cam Sims. Okay um, it was nice to see him third on the on the receiving chart with three yep. catches for forty five yards. Yep you know, this guy, obviously, had he not gone down, uh, people wouldn't have known who Calvin Ridley was, and um, we haven't had to to rely on him right this second, but we are going to need him uh, next year when when Stewart and Howard step away, and uh, I hope Sims is, is coming on.
1: Yeah, I do too. It's good to see him back, and, uh, and he had a couple of nice catches. You know, we had six guys with with multiple catches, which was nice, and you know, spreading the spreading the ball uh, around a little bit and, and Cam Sims is certainly a guy that has a lot of athletic upside. So uh look forward to him continuing to sort of get healthy and play himself back and uh look forward to him making uh a contribution. I think the balance of this season, but again I think uh I think the the brightest days for Cam Sims are ahead.
0: No, absolutely, man. Well we'll flip the field on defense. What what jumped out at you on defense?
1: <clears throat> I just think the team effort. Um, you know, there were nine players with, with four or more tackles. There were 13 players, you know, with three or more tackles. There were nine players with quarterback hurries. And so, you know, you can call out a sack. You can call out a pick. I, I get it. But there wasn't just a dominating guy that sort of ruled the defense. It was a true on defensive effort across across the board. It, it, it would be hard to say, you know, who was the defensive star in in this game because they just played so so well as a cohesive unit. Uh, I really enjoyed seeing that. You know, I
0: agree, and it was interesting. Saban talked about in his post game press conference of how good of a job they had done against the running prowess of of Nick Fitzgerald. Gerald, and. You know, he made an interesting comment. He was talking about, you know, our defense sees this in practice every day. And I'm going to give you the analogy of Mississippi State, their defense sees it in practice every day, right, against Fitzgerald. Our defense sees it in practice every day against Jalen Hurts. The difference is Mississippi State doesn't have the horses on defense that we do. Right. And so and – so, I really think that what Jalen Hurts has brought to the offense this year was really huge against a quarterback like Nick Fitzgerald because he had one nice 22-yard run there in the third quarter. Um, but this is a guy who, what was it, 270, 80 yards rushing in the in the last game. Um, for this guy to only have 11 rushes for, for 40 yards was a big deal.
1: Yeah, a- absolutely. I mean – What do we kid, you know, a couple of years ago when, uh, you know, Johnny Manziel just would, you know, he would sort of eat our lunch. And, you know, (laughs) we said, you know, Saban needs to hire him. After he flames out of the NFL, we need to hire him as sort of like the permanent scout team quarterback, you know, just to give us looks. And so, you know, and that was kind of a funny thing, but there's a reality that, you know, sort of iron sharpens iron that, you know, let's get, you know, an athletic mobile quarterback, you know, like a Jalen that can come in and give our defense looks, but then he's honing his skills against our defense, which makes him better on offense. And so it's, it is, you know, you think about all the talent, all the, all the, you know, kind of five stars, all of the, the amassed ability, you know, kind of on the team. And then they're going to go out and practice against one another and get better against the best. And so it, it almost, it's almost a snowball effect.
0: It's not fair to the other teams. It's absolutely not fair to the other teams. And, you know,
1: in a fun way, it's not fair in a fun way, right? And recruited to it and, and all of that, but there is a reality that, you know, there's some snowball effect going on that that makes that makes it in, increasingly difficult to be able to come and play ball with us.
0: No, this is true. Um, well, the next thing I want to I want to touch on for a minute is I just want to, you know, I'm going to give my mini game ball away early and and so I'll just say his name later, but you know, one of the other big things that jumped out at me because this was an overall defensive effort uh was the play of Anthony Averett. Um, you know, we're all or I'm always screaming, you know, at the games about DBs turning back to the ball and and you know, you got to turn back to the ball, so pass interference doesn't get called, etc. And there were there were three different times that he turned back at the very right second and put his hand up and he, the ball, he didn't knock the ball away all three times. He just got in the field of vision of the wide receiver to keep him from catching the ball because they couldn't call pass interference because he was turned the right way. Um, this is the best game, in my opinion, uh, of his young career as a starting cornerback. And um, while he's made other plays, I think this was the best game he's had it as an Alabama
1: cornerback. Without question. Without question. From soup to nuts uh you know, like you said he's made it he's made plays but in terms of stringing it together into a a full game hats off uh you know a- avery had a phenomenal day on saturday because he's getting
0: picked on right because he's still getting picked on a ton right and so that's the biggest thing for me right is uh is is teams are picking on him and 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 i think he's he's getting better because of it
1: yeah what do you think about Tony Brown? Is is how's he looking at the uh, at, at the inside position?
0: You know the verdict is still out there. Um, he he. There there was there was a huge play in the first in the first uh, first quarter, I believe, where Nick Fitzgerald. Um, you know, well, there was a huge play in the first quarter where Tony Brown. It was a zone coverage. Tony Brown came off of his wide receiver. Thank goodness the defensive line hit Fitzgerald right as he was releasing the ball, and so he wasn't able to get the ball there. It would have been a touchdown. Um, Tony Brown made some plays, um, but that was a big play that could have gone the other way early in the game. I don't think it would have affected the outcome of the game, obviously. And so, you know, he's a guy that is doing well considering he's just started being back in the rotation.
1: but there's, there's still
0: work to be done.
1: There is, and, and, I'm, and I'm fine with that, and I don't, I don't dispute that a bit. I think there were a number of plays that, that uh, you know, Mississippi State left on, on the field. They could have they caught a number of passes, and I say a number. I mean, you know, three, four, five, you know, passes where the, where the receivers just, just dropped the ball or just couldn't complete the catch. You know, it would not have changed the outcome of the game but it would have given them, you know, seven or ten more points on the board, and and they would have been a, at least a, a little bit more competitive. But you know, at the same time, I take nothing away from the defensive backs, and I like the way, you know, and, and Tony, like you said, he's he's sort of new to the rotation, and he had to miss some games this year, and and sort of forced into primetime action with with the you know with Eddie being being lost. But I like the athleticism that he brings to the uh, to the field. I think the I think there's a net. I want to be careful because I'm not trading on on my Eddie Jackson. But there's a net athleticism boost when you when when you bring Tony in for an Eddie, and then you slide Minka back, you know, into into the safety position. I mean, you've got four true corners uh, on the field and a nickel, and then gosh, I really like Ronnie Harrison. Uh, in there as well. I like that alignment. I just think let's give Tony a little more time, and uh, and and he's going to be that much better, that much better improved. I'd always rather have Eddie. Don't get me wrong, but I I I think that, and again, it kind of goes back to the riches of right. Because what do we do? Literally, we put in a four, you know, a five star corner, you know, one of the one or two ranked corners in the country we were able to rotate in for, you know, Eddie being lost. And so, um, it's, it's fun to see that. And so it's fun to see it kind of come together and to think about, you know, is there a potential that the secondary is actually more athletic when you lose a starter and, then you know, to try to wrap your head around that for a minute is, that must be very frustrating for other fan bases.
0: No, it has to be. And, and, what you just said, most teams would have brought in a guy like, you know, Levi Wallace. Sure. And no offense to him, but most teams, that would have been their next man up, and the other teams would have been, we have somebody to pick on now. Yeah. And so for Alabama to to do that, you know, is just a luxury that other programs don't have.
1: Right, right. You know, i I got to give a shout-out to Deron Payne. Uh, there was a point, you know, in the third quarter where Mississippi State had, was stringing together a couple, uh, a couple of running plays, and um, and you know, lo and behold, you know, it's Josh Frazier in the middle of the in the middle of the defensive front, and so who do we see trot back out? Uh, you know, Duran Payne, and then next next thing you know, Mississippi State's punting. So I I just thought, you know, we just needed to put that that stopper back in the in the bathtub, and so we did. And then all of a sudden, um, you know, state can't can't do anything. They have to punt. I just got a kick out of that. That
0: just it, speaks to what we've said before, right?
1: It does. And 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 to see it happen is almost like, oh man, this stuff writes itself, right? And you know, it's it's almost like it can't be that easy that he just brings them in. But yeah, okay, I guess it is. Um, and 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 I hate to sound like that's disparaging against Frazier because I'm glad that he's getting some reps. I'm glad he's you know in the rotation. Which it's just. Hopefully, hopefully he is appreciating that he needs to take that step, and hopefully that's going to be motivating to his development. Uh, because because we need it, we need well, that. That shows you, as we identified at the beginning of the
0: season, you know, there's there's the uh, Trojan horse, right, for this Alabama right. defense. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, you know, and by the same token, I, I just want to quickly point out, you know, the the first sack of the game by by Tim Williams, because on that. Key third and sixth play to kind of get things started on the right, you know, on the right course for Alabama. You know, the left tackle has been watching lots of film of Tim Williams, right? Sure. I couldn't get over the fact that on that play, Tim Williams takes the edge on him and he just kind of half ass pushes him out. And I'm sitting here thinking, Dude, you don't think he's fast enough to turn the corner? By you just pushed him over there three yards, he's not gonna be able to get to your quarterback. I I just couldn't get over the fact that a starting left tackle in the SEC on the very first third and you know obvious passing third down play of the game just kind of half pushes you know a guy like Tim Williams a couple yards wide and thinks it's gonna do anything.
1: Do you think, think that that's hilarious? No, no, I hear what you're saying. Do you think that, and I'm not making excuses for Mississippi State linemen, I'm just asking a question, do, do you think that there is an there is a realization that over the course of the day you're not going to beat them? But we have a quarterback that's somewhat mobile, and so force him wide, force him wide, force him wide. That will give our mobile quarterback another second to, to sort of see it, perceive it, and react, and and, and he'll have more time – to react if Tim Williams has to go wide as opposed to cutting inside.
0: In theory, that's probably what he was coached up to do. And so obviously they only had three sacks on the day. And so that ended up being Tim Williams, you know, only sack on the day. Um, And so I guess if they had 10 sacks on the day, it probably would have been a bigger point to make. I just found it humorous that they approached it that way, but that's probably why they did what do you what do you what do you what do you think of uh what do you think of Mr. Davis you know scoring a scoring a sack in the ball game?
1: Yeah, it was nice to see. I enjoyed that i he, you know again, we're looking for help on the inside we're we need it, and you know he's a guy that I was hoping would be a more steady rotation guy by now, but I, you, hey, I'll take it, and it's good to see it sort of blossom in this type of game. And I hope that, you know, that's a springboard of, of things to come. Because guess what? That number two spot, we talked about going four deep at, at left guard. Holy cow. We, you know, we can't go too deep at nose, right? That is correct. The competition for nose is open.
0: Wide open. Yes. We're about but to have competitions. Open for business. The, we're about to have competitions
1: on the quad next week. That is correct. Well, that one would be a harder one to, you know, because – and God only makes so many of those. <laughs> you know? This is true. We we don't have a thousand high school soccer players, <laughs> you know, that can come in and do that.
0: <laughs> you know, real quick, you, you mentioned the luxury of Tony Brown. I also want to mention the same thing is true for Rashawn Evans. Yeah. Who who, you know, is able to just float in the game in the first half of these games, like all rested and 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 he hasn't really had to do anything. And so he comes in on a handful of third down plays, and oh, let me just you know pressure the quarterback like I do, and I'm all rested, and I can just come in, and I'd be like a starting linebacker on other SEC teams.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. And 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 there's a number of players that you could say that about. You know, a Deshaun Hand, and you know a Terrell Hall, and an Speaking Anthony Jenkins. Hey, or- man, we saw some more hand in this game
0: earlier. Yeah. Why do you think that was? Where do, where do you think he was in the LSU game? I know you said shrinking the roster, but he's a guy that really blossomed against Watson in the national championship game. I, I'm surprised that we didn't see him earlier against LSU, but yet we saw him very early in the first quarter of this ballgame.
1: Well, and and, uh, and I wonder for a little bit if if you didn't kind of partially answer that question unintentionally. You know, the the role that he played in shadowing Watson is a role that was not – Required against LSU, but it was a role that we could leverage against um, a Mississippi State. No, that's true. That's true. And
0: and but but he still could have provided depth on other plays for the line. And I guess like we talked about LSU, we didn't. Fortunately, we we got off the field a lot, which which probably dictated some of that. Yeah. Um, right. Anything else you saw? Because obviously, we got to see. Um uh, we got to see Anthony Jennings pretty early in this game uh which was nice. We got to see some Dakota ball. We got to see a lot of backups. Any any backups that jumped out at you real quick? Um you know that you enjoyed uh seeing. We got to see some Mac Williams in the game uh beside Rashawn Evans in the inside of the uh of the nickel formation which was interesting.
1: Yeah, it's good to see him get some some run besides and, fullback. Uh, you know, it yeah, besides fullback in uh, special teams, Maven. So, you know, it's definitely good to see that. It's always fun to see the young guys and kind of spot, you know, or try to spot anticipate who's going to kind of be the next one. I, I'll be honest with you. there's so many right now that it's that, that, that I think have the opportunity to really be that next guy that it's, it's almost disingenuous to start listing them all because it just sounds like you're making it up. But um, I think that, you know, I think he has an opportunity to be that guy. I still am, am very impressed with with Jennings. I know you like Terrell Hall uh, in in the same way. I think I think those are three cats that really have an opportunity to be special over the coming years. Well, give me your uh, mini game ball on defense, man. Who you, who you giving it to? Yeah, I this may
0: be a short trip on mini game ball. Uh, I'm going Anthony Averett for oh, really no. For we've man, discussed. not do mine. Man, they can't do that, dude. That's just that's just wrong. All right, well, I will. Uh, I'll, I'll give it to Raquan Davison for his sack since you stole my guy. So that's all okay. good. So uh, so give me give me uh, special teams. Um, you know, uh, I found it very interesting what Saban said. He was asked about you know special teams and and he was asked specifically about um you know how things went on the day uh you know from a field goal perspective and so he was asked about Adam Griffith and his three field goals and and i found it very interesting that he talked about how you know he commented that we just have to keep him on point with you know doing things i mean i'm paraphrasing but it was like you know on his on on his stance and his placement of his foot and his technique and and I kind of got the sense in his comment to the reporter that we just have to keep focusing on his confidence and building his confidence. And, you know, maybe I read too much into this, you know, minute answer from him after the game. But, you know, there might be more to this just helping Adam with his psyche
1: than than maybe we kind of realized. Yeah, I, I definitely think there is something to it. You know, Saban also talked about, you know, some of his kicks were a little low to the ground. And so, you know, you take all that, you know, together and you wonder if there's not, you know, some mechanic, you know, issue with with mechanics. I thought it was interesting that, you know, in a game like this, um, that, you know, Adam was three for three on his on his field goals uh, and and including hitting a thirty nine. And so. Gosh, man, it's just, it's the kind of thing I hate to say, but you wonder if if the pressure doesn't get to him a little bit. Uh, because there are, you know, take the, the LSU game where points are a premium and you miss a kick. Uh, and, and there are other games where early in the game it's a missed kick. And then you come back after the offense has scored a couple of touchdowns and, you know, oh, okay, now – we don't need these three points, but here they are. Um, It's—I mean, I just—I so hate to sort of think and, and say that out loud, but it just—that's what it feels like sitting in the stands watching it. I don't—I don't know well, what it your makes, thought is.
0: It, well, no, I think it must be a psyche thing based on Saban's remarks and the fact that Adam Griffith was trotted out there to take all three of these field goals in the game. Tells me that it was something about building his confidence. Because you talk about going four deep at right guard. Well, what should you typically be able to do in a blowout game that you didn't expect to be a blowout against an SEC caliber opponent, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It have been a great chance to to bring somebody else out there to, you know, the backup kicker to to take one of these kicks. Well, I don't think they did it because to make every field goal Adam can make, and I think it, and and I think they they feel like he needs that for him, right, right. And so I just hope that this margin of victory continues because, um, to your point, I don't want us to be in many more ten to nothing games and and have to you know line up for forty five yards and see what happens.
1: Right, right. Although speaking of you know lining up and see what happens, I love watching JK. Uh, you know, kick the ball. I mean, three, you know, he punts, had three, three for an punts, average of fifty-one. Really?
0: Yeah, go ahead. Now I was about to say what you're about to say. Three punts for what? Well, three
1: for fifty-one, and dude had a sixty-two yarder. And I, I will, I will say this: the, the I think the fans appreciate the punting game in a way that they have not before, because when he boomed that sixty-two yarder, the moonshot just you could just hear the collective gasp, the collective awe in the stadium of that kick. And and um, you know, Saban talks about winning the field position and all these sort of sort of nuancey things that people don't maybe even try to want to understand. But to see a sixty two yard kick sort of unfurled, that's pretty exciting. And uh I I enjoyed that. Unfortunately that's the one that went for the the touchback, but but, man, that kick in the air was something else.
0: Well, and you and I both know that, you know, the way they the way they grade this, right, it was 62 yards from the line of scrimmage. But I had to go back and count, you know, how many yeah. yards it was from where it actually left his foot. Yes. That was about an 80-yard punt, dude. Yes. It only got 62 yards on the stats, but that was about an 80-yard punt. And that thing
1: just kept going up and up and just – it was it was a thing of beauty to sort of just see it. To you know, to see it happen, it was, it was, it was really nice. And you juxtapose that to the Mississippi State kicker. There were a couple times he did not even kick for a first down. It was just, uh, you know, they go out of bounds, and and you know the official is running up and keeps running up and keeps running up. It's like, well, where is he going to stop? And uh, there were a couple times he, you know, he was inside what would have been the first down mark for that punt, and you think, boy, that's just a really bad punt. And uh and so to get to see JK do that is just boy, that's what punting's all about.
0: No, it was. And to put that in perspective, uh their punter had seven punts for two hundred and ten yards. Yes. And JK had three punts for 154 yards. Yes. Now something I did not realize before the game though is apparently they had lost their kicker uh to an injury before this game. I don't know if it was the last game or a previous game, but they, they talked about how um their starting kicker was also their starting punter and he also was their kickoff guy. okay and he also was the placeholder on their field goals. So their kickoff guy was serving three roles on their team and kind of like Michael Williams in, in days past for us, they had to bring three new specialists into the into the game to make up for what he did before. Well that certainly explains. The punter. The punter.
1: <laughs> certainly. But certainly but, think about, but think
0: about it. They also talked about the missed field goal they had. The yep. guy didn't get the threads around on the field goal. And guess what? He was a new placeholder on the field goals. Yeah. It's just interesting. We talk about our embarrassment of riches, and here they've got their guy who kicks their field goals, excuse me, who's holding for the field goals, who's their kickoff guy, and he's their punter. And when they lose him, they got to replace him with three other guys. Yeah. He's like,
1: they're all special teams guys.
0: (laughs) We should give him a mini game ball just for that. So,
1: well,
0: well, tell me, tell me, tell me, what do you think? uh, What do you think going forward here? Obviously, um, obviously it helps that, that, uh, that the Georgia Bulldogs took care of Auburn for us to, to just kind of lower that, that pitch and hearing all that crap about Auburn for the next two weeks. But what do, you, what do you think about this next game as, as we get ready for the, you know, for the Chattanooga mocks?
1: Yeah, I think I, I just wanted, you know, that, that Auburn game was certainly – I enjoyed watching that. Uh, the fact that I think they, they gained 32 yards in the second half, um, I just, it's just amazing. Uh, you know, that's a Kirby smart defense. And, you know, we know that a Kirby smart defense is going to look a lot like a Saban defense – and so I kind of like that. I kind of like seeing some of that on film, and I get the biggest kick out of Mo Smith uh, having the the pick six that really uh, that really separates you know the score uh, the score in the game. So I like that uh, Alabama's beating Auburn even when Alabama is not playing Auburn. I do enjoy that no that is that's petty of me i'm sorry i just
0: it is is petty but it's all good man so let's let's focus on the (laughs) mocks here man but i do like that it kind of it kind of got rid of the auburn talk right we were starting to hear more and more about them and we never want to hear about them so it was kind of nice to put them in their place Uh, yeah i do think it will and and this team will not let it take their focus off auburn right because of all the things we talked about so so, what do you expect for this? You know, this Chattanooga game because I don't think we're going to look past them um, because this team is just not built that way. What do you What do you think is going to happen when when we have a six o'clock kickoff time?
1: You know, I, I don't know what to do with picking this game. I would be embarrassed to pick fifty one to three against Chattanooga, and we'd yeah, you just would just be Mississippi State. You'd feel bad about that, right? I I, I would feel I would feel bad making that type of prediction because that's a very bold prediction. Forty-eight points is a bold prediction. And we beat an SEC team by that. An SEC team that is allegedly, you know, a, a strong, you know, considers himself a, a strong rival to, to Alabama. Uh an SEC team that that last year, was it last year? Uh last year spent time ranked number one in the country. Um that's who these, you know, and so to think that what then would you think that you should choose, you know, that you should score, you know, UT Chattanooga over? I, I don't know. You know, I look, and so for kicks, I looked at the schedule just a little bit. like, what are we even talking about here? And then, and then I, I think I found my answer. Um, the Moccasins and Mississippi State have a shared opponent, and that shared opponent is Samford. And the Moccasins beat them. Uh, both won, so the Moccasins won forty-one to twenty-one, and Mississippi State had a little bit of a, uh, a more of a roller coaster ride with Samford, and they beat them fifty-six to forty-one, and so Mississippi State allowed Samford forty-one points, and the Moccasins were able to hold them to twenty-one, and so. I'm and so all of that goes into my calculus that I'm actually picking uh, a score of forty nine to ten. Uh, I, I I think this game may this game will be look I'm I'm saying it. <laughs> Do not say this closer. This game will be closer than a Mississippi State game. Wow. Okay. Well, they talked
0: about all the youth that Mississippi State has on their roster, um, and so I don't know how much experience Chattanooga has, but. You know, last couple years, this tune up game for Auburn has been, has not even been close. I mean, two years ago, we beat the Catamounts 48 to 14. And, and last year, you know, we, we, we put away the Charleston Southern team 56 to six. So, you know, this is going to be that game where, you know, we don't get over 50 because it'll tick saving off. Although I do think he enjoyed putting over 50 on Mullen, it, it seemed like. Um, it, he didn't seem to be as upset about it as I expected. Right. I, I think this is going to be, um, I think this is going to be a little bit less than that, which will be surprising. Um, but kind of by the same tone, I think this is going to be like a 45 to seven game.
1: Okay. So we're gonna okay. Walk
0: away and we're going to be like, what the, you know, we're, you and I are going to be shocked after the game that the reality of. It's a closer game than Mississippi State is. We're, we're going to really scratch our head on this one.
1: Yeah, I've got it forty-nine to ten. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of. We're kind of in the same ballpark on this one. Did we? Would you like? Would you like to see Cooper
0: Bateman a little earlier in this game? I mean, I know we're just talking about embarrassment of riches, and I know, I know he got to, you know, he got to complete four passes for fifty yards, and you know, he got to complete a thirty-one yard pass. But you know, I still say that. This, this current team and the makeup of this current team you know there's a lot on this freshman's you know plate and and, and things just things can happen yeah. and so you know I, I I would like to see I'd like to see him play half of this ball game I, I'd like to see him come in more um I mean he literally came in the second to last series to you know to enter the game. And then the very next series, you know, Ronnie Clark rushes a couple of times and runs the clock out. I think yeah. we got to see Cooper Bateman more than one series.
1: Yeah, I agree. And, uh, you know, obviously we're talking about it being a coach's decision, not a forced situation. But, but, uh, yeah, I would love, uh, you know, coach's decision, the opportunity to see Bateman play most of the second half, um, you know, some with the starters and then some some with the backups. And, and I'd, you know, look, I'm writing a script here, so I'd like to see him be productive in that time as well. So um, it'll be interesting to see if that plays out, but that that's what I would wish. And if that can be done, you know, sort of in the context of the score that we're saying, you know, 49 to 10, 45 to, to seven, you know, maybe the mocks don't score their their points until late. And so they're scoring against backups and sort of backup is against backups after the game's kinda of already determined and you know, and we've had a chance to to play some of our backups and especially Bateman. And, you know, maybe that means somebody like a Josh um Jacobs has uh has a, a really big day um in, in in you know kind of running the ball in his capacity. So those are the those are the kinds of things that I would really script out that I would like to see.
0: I just wanted to bring it up real quick just because, um, you know, given how this game unfolded, it would have been nice to maybe see him just a little bit earlier, but. Well, tell me, do we, do we have any, um, do we have any listener feedback after the last show?
1: Yeah, it's, we've got a lot of feedback and it says Tommy sucks.
0: Well, thank you. This has been another edition
1: of <laughs> Alabama
0: football. Podcast.
1: No, 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 no. We actually got some awesome feedback and, um, um, no, we got some awesome feedback. We got actually four five star reviews in the last week, which is awesome and and certainly flattering. And and I'll kind of hit some of this. Uh, uh, well, now wait a minute, with, man.
0: If we got four of those, you should spread these out. Just do one today, and that'll carry us for the next
1: month. That'll be good. <laughs> no, no, I'm going to put these out there because I want I want I want uh, more folks to to sort of jump in. But uh, I'll hit these kind of quickly. But we certainly we appreciate every one of these. Um, uh listener by the by the sort of username of wallpaper obsession uh gives us five stars a must for every bama fan uh this podcast is truly outstanding always love looking uh forward to listening every week i'm, I'm going to paraphrase here uh he you know he gets insights from the games he said he likes espn but uh, the analysis there is pretty tired uh detailed insight that we bring to all three facets of the game he says it's a must listen for uh, all Bama fans. Uh, we've got uh, SRD Neil55, uh, Essential for Bama fans. This is simply a fantastic podcast for Alabama fans. Uh, lives in Kentucky, starved for Bama analysis. Uh, while the team gets a lot of coverage, um, he likes the way that we're real comprehensive with our discussion. This poly, uh, podcast is from an intelligent fans' perspective. So we really appreciates what i've got to say and uh, doesn't succumb, uh, succumb to homerism it offers a realistic uh, look at his favorite team with a perfect amount of optimism and uh, pessimism so we appreciate that i've got one i'm gonna circle back to uh the standard this is the texan stone that sounds real official uh the standard in alabama podcasting wow i look forward to this show every week such a uh, such in-depth coverage of Alabama football where ESPN and other outlets glance over Bama due to no story or whatever. These guys bring the coverage uh, of Alabama, a huge roll tide to the show. Keep it up. And I think the winner of this sort of weeks uh, this week's uh, uh, feedback report is uh, a I P W N S uh, informative football podcast. Great commentary and analysis of the Todd's players and performance week for week. Must listen if you're a Bama uh, fan or serious about football. Only a few requests, guys. And he says, explain. This is awesome. Explain some of the terms for us dumber fans. I cannot for the life of me find how a rabbit nickel defense differs from a standard nickel. <laughs> and that just that's the winner just right there. Uh, and then he talks about uh, more breakdown of Bama's packages used uh, game to game. Let us know how many plays we ran out of each defensive package, or, and it looks like it gets cut off there. Man, I wish that we had like an advanced stats package and, or at least the time to sort of create one myself of uh, the number of, of plays out of different formations and to break that down a little a little bit different. But I'll tell you about the rabbit nickel because we all know that I love the rabbit nickel. The nickel is just the same five defensive backs but it's what you put that on top of it's like wearing a long sleeve shirt with with pants or shorts you've got a long sleeve shirt on that's your nickel but what are you putting that on top of and so the rabbit nickel is putting it on rabbit rushers and so instead of just like a standard um you know three four which it was a nickel so it would be more of a three three then you're really bringing it against like a 4-2 where you've got two additional edge rushers. You've got the, the the maybe, maybe I don't know, maybe it's Ryan Anderson, maybe it's uh, uh, Tim Williams, maybe it's uh, Terrell, uh, maybe it's Anfernee, but you're rushing, you're putting a rush package in underneath or on top of uh, underneath the nickel as opposed to more of a standard run defense over a nickel. So, yeah, I, 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 an I, right? I
0: can see. I can see why that was your. We appreciate all the feedback, but I can see as soon as uh, the words "rabbit nickel" came across the screen, you were you were focused on. Oh uh, man, that lit up answering that question.
1: Yes, well, I lit up twice because when I saw four, I was like, "Holy cow!" Thank you guys. That's so. Uh, I mean, it is encouraging. We do really appreciate it. And then when I saw the rabbit nickel, I was like, "Oh, I'm gonna have fun with this one."
0: No, guys, we do we do appreciate you listening, and we uh, we know our show runs long, uh, and that's because we really enjoy talking about this stuff. And so, uh, please, please, uh, please uh, keep giving us the feedback uh, because it will only make us better. And uh, we do this because it's a we have a passion for doing it, and uh, hearing that y'all like it just uh, makes us want to keep doing it. So we appreciate the
1: feedback. Absolutely. Thank you very much for that. And uh, if, you're not, if you're not big on iTunes but you'll still listen to us, then uh, leave us some reviews on the Bama Hammer. Let our editors know that, uh, that you like and appreciate us. But with that, this has been another edition of the Alabama Football Podcast. Roll Tide. Thanks for listening to the Alabama Football Podcast. We love that you're tuned in and hope that you enjoyed the show. We encourage you to reach out and let us know what you like, where we can improve, Or just a shout out a Roll Tide. We are where you are. iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, email newsletters, T-shirts, free roster downloads, and, of course, on the web at alabamafootballpodcast.com. Check us out where you'll find easy links to your favorite way to follow the Tide. Got that, Coach? Of course. Roll Tide.